Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. Before I give you the rundown on today's lineup, uh, let me take a second here to thank some of our local business partners. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's my grocery store, open seven days a week. The cafe is also open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. Uh, there's limited dining service, or you can order using Gateway's takeout service. Also, it's that time of the year to think about Gateway gift cards. For every $50 gift card you buy, you get an additional $10 gift card. That's right, folks. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, offering planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. So, hey, on today's program, uh, we're going to be uh, talking with uh, State Senator-elect Kim Jackson of Georgia. We're going to be talking with her about the Georgia Senate election. Uh, Charles Goldman is going to join us. We're going to discuss how the, uh, the the audit of the Iowa caucuses, how, yeah, okay, so the D Democratic Party made mistakes in Iowa, but nationally the DNC bears the brunt of the blame for that caucus debacle. We'll also talk with Charles about renewable energy. Um, not all roses. This one, uh, this concern is about um, geothermal in New Mexico. We'll talk with Charles about that. And Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm will join us. We'll talk about getting ready to start seeds. Uh, but first, got to talk with you about the Arctic, a, a victory in the Arctic, in fact. But before we talk about, <laughs> there's two little things I want to squeeze in before we talk about victory in the Arctic. Here's a story that I think should make everybody feel good. No matter who you are or where you are, this story should make you feel good. A church here in Des Moines, a church I'm personally familiar with, uh, bought and then forgave five million dollars worth of medical debt that's incredible so i think how does the church afford five million dollars worth of medical debt well apparently it quote only cost eight thousand dollars to buy that debt it's still a lot of money this is a small church by the way this is not a big massive mega church this is a small a struggling church that just wanted to do something special and important so um yeah they they bought eight thousand dollars worth of medical debt um <laughs> And uh, they did that through a program called RIP Medical Debt. I like that name. And there, and the RIP Medical Debt's website reads, By forgiving this debt, we strive to give struggling individuals and their families a fresh start. We hope to give those affected the ability to seek the continued medical care they need and help them back towards financial stability. That is one awesome story. And if you're thinking about Christmas and the holidays in terms of giving and generosity and kindness, you can't get any more generous or kind or giving or loving than that. Good for that church. That's um, Capitol Hill Lutheran Church in Des Moines. Okay, and again, before I tell you the good news about the Arctic, I gotta, I'm afraid i got to do it again. i got to share a piece of bad news. Because just last week, uh, Noah, that's uh, not the guy with the Ark, that's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, NOAA and a group of international scientists released the 2020 Arctic report card. And yeah, we know this, but it's worse. I mean, the Arctic is warming at double the global average. Uh, it's being transformed rapidly, really rapidly, into a much warmer region. Uh, enormous consequences for the rest of the planet. Um, yeah. 
That's all I'm going to say about that. We need to pay attention. We need to read that. We need to understand how that affects all of us. All right, so the good news is uh, last week, a federal court rejected President Trump's decision to approve the so-called Liberty Project. I love these names. Liberty Project. Well, no, it has nothing to do with freedom. Uh, This is um, back in 2018. uh, The Hill Corp Alaska Corporation uh, received approval from the Trump administration to build and operate an artificial drilling island and underwater pipeline up in up in the Arctic Ocean. And so the Liberty Project would involve construction um, and operation of a nine-acre artificial island uh, in about 20 feet of water, and that comes with a a five-and-a-half-mile-long pipeline. So some of the criticism about the project was that it was, um, you know, there was a risk of spills in the Beaufort Sea, uh, that it was a threat to polar bears and some of the native communities living in the Arctic. And... uh, you know, I, I get that, uh, but, okay, so I, I want to read you a quote here real quick from, um, from Nicole Whittington-Evans of Defenders of Wildlife. She says, quote, and again, what happened was, let me just back up, the court uh, decided to, to, uh, can't, to uh, you know, to cancel that. They, they said, oh, sorry, you can't do that. You can't build that, which is a, a huge victory. That's one less... Um, one less source of oil to be developed and to be exported and to be burned and to be pumped into the atmosphere. And from a carbon and climate point of view, that's really, really important. So the, um, the quote, though, is, uh, Today's news is a victory for Alaska's imperiled polar bears that are threatened by oil and gas development throughout virtually all of their terrestrial denning critical habitat in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge Area. Uh, and in the nearshore marine environment as well, uh, we will continue our fight against destructive oil and gas drilling and for the survival of polar bears in the Arctic. You know, th- that concern is very legitimate. So are concerns about uh, contamination of the Beaufort Sea, uh, about impacts on native communities. All those things are important. But, you know, the primary objection to this project, just like the primary objection to the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone Pipeline, should be the impact on climate change. That, that is the overarching concern, and it's, it becomes a greater and greater concern with every passing day. So what really pleased and impressed and actually surprised me was that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, their arguments did focus on climate change. I mean, they talked about polar bears as well, but the court ruled that the Trump administration had failed to properly consider the climate impacts of the project. And, 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 that the, the, and the court rejected the Trump administration's um, use, the, 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 the economic model they'd set up to determine that this was a good project. The um, court ruled that that was an in- inadequate model because it didn't talk about how it might benefit the climate. Because apparently the Trump, Trump administration tried to argue that this uh, Liberty Project, this, um, this, this 5.6-mile pipeline into the oil reserves under the Arctic Sea, was somehow going to make the climate better. So the court saw through that and, uh, again, focused on the climate aspects. The court also did, I mean, talk about how the Fish and Wildlife Service had violated the Endangered Species Act by, um, by failing to adequately look into the effects of the project on polar bears. I know, I know polar bears, they're really cute. I mean, they're really fussy, cute, beautiful. 
I don't think you'd want to run into one in an icy alley anywhere, but, you know, I get it. Polar bears are great. Um, but like every other animal or plant, um, you know, their future is being uh, compromised by climate change. And I'm really glad the court focused on that. I think, again, they, they, they mentioned that fish and wildlife had not adequately addressed the polar bear issue either, but their focus was on climate. Now, to some of the other, to one of the other groups that are, there was a bunch of groups involved with this, um, this legal action. One of them was Greenpeace. And I like their quote a lot better. Greenpeace says, uh, and again, this uh, ruling was just this past week. Greenpeace says, quote, today's decision is a victory for the planet and its people. The ruling affirms that the U.S. must take steps to transition off oil and gas if we are to have any hope of halting the climate crisis. If we're going to create a just, green, and peaceful future, it must start with rejecting destructive projects like liberty. Climate action must happen now, and the Biden administration needs to keep its promise to halt new oil and gas leasing on federal lands and waters. Good, solid quote that gets to the crux of the problem. And I would add, too, yeah, the uh, Biden administration needs to keep its promise to halt new oil and gas leasing on federal lands and waters and also... Joe Biden needs to keep his promise on the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone Pipeline. So we'll all be waiting to see how quickly he moves on those things. I hope he moves as quickly as Donald Trump. Uh, when Trump, what was it, like a week or two after the inauguration, he authorized Keystone and, and re, uh, restarted up Dapple. I hope Biden acts with that uh, level of urgency, only in the right direction. Yeah, and, you know, regarding the Arctic again, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, because uh, right now, Donald Trump, he has, he has this last-ditch uh, effort to try to get leases approved for oil and gas drilling in Anwar, not just off the ocean, like the, off, off the shore, on the ocean, like the Liberty Project would have been. But he wants to, of course, uh, allow these leases to be authorized prior to January 20th because uh, it is likely, at least it is hope. hope I hope it is likely that Biden, to be consistent with what he said and to consistent with his stated climate goals, would not want to authorize leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So Trump knows that, and he's trying to get, you know, all the focus is on Trump's denial of the election. But meanwhile, him and his administration and the corporate cronies that are benefiting from it are doing everything they can to try to uh, try, try to make life as miserable for planet Earth as possible. And uh, again, this one's happening. We'll see what happens. But um, again, uh, he, he, may, he may not accomplish this. Trump is trying to get this done at the last minute. Maybe something, maybe, maybe I mean, the courts have been ruling against Trump on every front lately. So much winning. Uh, it's hard to, hard to stomach all that winning, isn't it? So um, we'll see what happens. But hopefully uh, something will stop him from allowing these oil and gas companies to gain these leases to drill in the Arctic um, prior to January 20th. Or if they are approved, Biden will have the guts to cancel them right away. Hey, um, when we come back from a short break here, um, Georgia State Senate-elect Kim Jackson is going to join us. We're going to talk about the upcoming Georgia Senate election on January 5th. This is Ed Fallon, your host here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. 
catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. I would like to thank a couple of our business sponsors here in Des Moines and Central Iowa. This is um, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience caring for all creatures, great and small. You can learn more at Story County Vet Clinic's Facebook page or by calling Dr. Holding at 515 232 uh, 8766. Uh, thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Local food security is becoming more and more important to both urban and rural residents. You can get information at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, Kim Jackson is the uh, Senator-elect for Georgia State District 41. She's also an ordained Episcopal priest. Uh, Kim, welcome to the program. Hi, it's so good to be with you all. And congratulations. Well, thank you so much. So uh, you and you are uh, you you come to this job with a with a very unique uh, accomplishment as well. That is correct. I am a historic first, the first out LGBTQ person ever elected to the Georgia Senate. So it's kind of exciting. Yeah, a little intimidating, maybe. Uh, it's a lot. Is like. <laughs> yeah. And the and to be I, I mean I I think maybe people know this but Georgia uh, is a pretty Republican state in terms of the legislative breakdown correct? That's right. That's right. There's a majority in both the House and the Senate. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you can't get stuff done. I've spent 14 years as the minority party member up here, so uh, yeah, it's no it's not as much fun. You don't get as much done, but you can still do a lot of stuff. So I look forward to hearing how that goes for you. Uh, in oh the meantime, I'm excited to do it. Yeah, in the meantime, we have a pretty amazing election coming up on January 5th. It does not happen too often when two U.S. Senate seats in one state are up at the same time. And uh, all eyes are, are kind of on Georgia right now. And the polls are showing that the two Democratic candidates are slightly ahead of their Republican opponents. How do you, do you trust those polls? I think we learned a long time ago to be be skeptical with polls at the very least, right? Um, there certainly is a lot of excitement. I think if it's all about early voting and who votes by absentee, then there's no doubt that Democrats will have a lead. Um, but we just have to be cautious. We are very clear we can't let up the momentum just because the polls are showing a um, showing a little wind here. Yeah, And the early voting has already begun, correct? Today is the first day of early voting. Wow. So the lines got formed at uh, you know 7 a.m. this morning. 
So do you think uh, do you think uh, President Trump and other Republicans uh, hurt the hurt their two candidates' chances by by uh, calling the election rigged and sending kind of mixed messages on that? Yeah, you know that has been an interesting question. So there have been some conversations about Republicans boycotting the election because of the you know fraudulent claims. Um, I do think, however, that the two candidates who were who were on the Republican ballot have pretty, I mean, have done a great job in terms of trying to dissuade people's concerns and, and encouraging people to still come out the vote. So it'll be, it will, time I think we'll have to tell that story of what kind of damage has been done by um, putting so many seeds of doubt into Georgia voters about whether or not our votes actually count. Yeah, and, and a lot of it will have to do with turnout. And uh, I mean, turnout for the general election in Georgia, well, across the country, it was huge. I believe Georgians uh, set an all-time record for the number of people who voted and the percentage of people That's who voted, correct? That's right. And we have never had this many people show up to vote. Uh, as someone who was on the ballot, I you know, watched those numbers very closely. And the uh, turnout actually was uh, significantly more than even we had predicted. I think that uh, the... COVID had some real impact on making people really recognize the importance of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I think perhaps the failed act- actions of how COVID has been handled here um, really did encourage folks to show up in a different way than, than we had ever anticipated. And any indication as to whether or not that's going to happen this time around for the uh, special election? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There have been, you know, over a million absentee ballots already requested. And this is historic, right? Uh, Never before you had two Senate open Senate seats in Georgia. Um, Someone, you know, was saying earlier that generally runoffs are in in the Republicans' favor. But this is a time where I think never before in Georgia has there been an African-American pastor who's well-respected across the state on the ballot before. So essentially never before have African-Americans had a real reason to turn out that is as strong and powerful as this reason right now. Right. And if, uh, I mean, for Demo- all Republicans have to do to maintain control of the Senate is to win one of these two seats. Democrats, if they win them both, they gain control of the Senate. Uh, and I think well, that's why it's a huge, huge, uh, huge interest nationally. Well, it's anyway, it's all eyes are on Georgia right now. I mean, if, speaking as an Iowan, we're kind of used to being in the hot seat every four years. Everybody's looking at Iowa. Um, That's right. So enjoy this while it lasts. It's probably, a, <laughs> probably maybe it's more attention than you want. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that, um, you know, the amount of mailers that people are getting in there in their mailboxes and the unending unending commercials that just keep showing up. I, I'm not sure how much folks here are actually enjoying it at this point. Yeah, so. no, I can, we can relate to that, too. You can get absolutely inundated with commercials. And um, yeah. I have the advantage of uh, Kathy and I. We don't own a TV, so we, we miss that whole uh, whole uh, craziness. But um, any anymore, you get ads everywhere. Facebook, YouTube, um, right. uh, Pandora, billboards, uh, you would not believe how many flyers we would get at our door every day from candidates back during the uh, before the caucuses, and at least you only got two candidates, and not twenty running. <laughs> right, right. So I'm wondering is uh, what what are some of the priorities that the candidates are talking about? What are they when they when they dig into issues? What are you hearing? You know, I think the biggest thing that we're hearing is uh, from the Democratic side is basically this is a war around um, are we going to have access to health care or not, right? If um, Are you going to have coverage for pre-existing 
conditions or not. A vote for Warnock, a vote for Ossoff means a vote for everyone having opportunity to have health insurance. And a vote for the other two um, means that many of us will be left out in the cold. Mm. And I think that's kind of how it's been boiled down on the Democratic side. On the on the Republican side, it's a, you know, a vote for Warnock is a vote for a radical liberal. Um, and there's a lot of kind of fear mongering and fear excitement um, that is happening on on the right to try to get people concerned about uh, these, quote, radical socialist ideas that Reverend Warnock will be bringing along with John Ossoff if they're elected. Yeah. And do you think, the, I mean, those those claims are always made. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Rush Limbaugh calls Kamala Harris, commie Harris. Um, that's cute. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and the socialism tag is, you know, it doesn't, it, you can be, Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, it doesn't matter. You're going to be called a socialist. But do you, do you think voters are, are some of them seriously turned off by that? Or are people just kind of um, realizing that's just a standard political, you know, line from the Republican side? Yeah, at this point, because we've been seeing it and hearing it for so many months, many people know this is just the Republican line that they're touting. And um, and the other thing is, you know, at this point, you know, John Ossoff has run a major campaign before, so he was already uh, somewhat of a known entity. Right. And then you have the Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is a well-known entity uh, across the state, particularly in the black community. So these folks already know them. They're not concerned, you know. And it's just like if somebody were, were to talk to, you know, your wife, Ed, and um, they were telling, you know, telling people, telling your wife all about how the, you're so bad and you have these particular political views. Well, your wife would say, well, no, I, I know Ed. Um, and I know that's not true. And that's that's what's happening. The people who are going to vote for Warnock and for Ossoff, we know them. Mm. And so we we know that these lies are, are these these uh, misinformation. This misinformation is just that it's mm. misinformation. And so um, I'm, I'm curious, has climate change come up much during the debate uh, or during any of the conversations about the about what the what the candidates are going to do? You know, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. There is some conversation. I think that um, it's not the major, you know, kind of the major thrust of, of any campaign. Uh, I think that particularly our Democratic candidates have uh, tried to to walk a, a middle middle road here around the issues of climate change and um, in order to kind of pick up some more moderate votes. But um, for the most part, it's clear that if 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 I were putting my bets on who's going to take care of our you know, our environment more than the other, it's certainly going to be the Democrats. Yeah. So um, you, you've got your you've got your own priorities that you're probably preparing to uh, to lay out once you get sworn in next month. That's right. Yeah. I, I definitely have my eyes on what's next. Uh, <clears throat> what's next for me and yeah. trying to live into the commitments that I made when I was on the campaign trail. What, what are your what are some of your priorities? Just a short list. Yeah, that's that's a good answer. Just the short list. Uh, so, you know, I have I came in. I ran a very strong platform around issues of criminal justice reform, mm. and so I certainly will remain committed to that. A uh, really specific issue that's uh, I think unique to to just a few states in the nation is that here in Georgia, if you get pulled over for uh, say you know failing to use your turn signal, that's considered a misdemeanor. Mm. Uh, if you don't pay that ticket, you get picked up and put in jail. Wow, and yeah. so. Uh, I'm 
really committed to trying to get that changed to a civil offense uh, so that no person ends up having to spend nights after nights in jail yeah. uh, simply for a, a minor traffic ticket. Right? Well, we really look forward, look forward to continuing to see how, uh, how it goes for you. I mean, again, congratulations on being the first, uh, the first LGBT, LGBTQ person in Georgia to be elected to the state Senate. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, again, we've been talking with uh, Kim Jackson, folks. She's the uh, Georgia, State, uh, Georgia State Senate elect for House, for House District, or Senate District, rather, uh, 41. When we come back after a short break here, Charles Goldman is going to join us. We're going to talk about the Iowa caucus audit that just came out. And yeah, the Iowa Democratic Party screwed up, but it looks like the brunt of the blame goes to the Democratic National Committee. We'll be back in a minute here, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's my grocery store, open seven days a week. The cafe is also open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. Limited dine-in service, or you can order using Gateway's takeout service. Also, it's that time of the year to think about Gateway gift cards. For every $50 gift card you buy, you get an additional $10 gift card. Check it out, folks. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located in downtown Des Moines. Noche features both national acts and local performers, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Tina Haas Finley, and Nick Leo. Noche also offers a cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. You can catch many of the performances on Noche's live stream, and the owners have done a great job of making sure their setup works in protecting visitors, musicians, and staff during the COVID-19 pandemic. All right, so hey, welcome uh, welcome back to the program. Uh, with us now, uh, Dr. Charles Goldman. You know, this is a big deal, folks. The um, Iowa caucuses were an absolute mess to the Democratic Party's, uh, you know, we commend them on putting together an audit that was just released. And I tell you, it's pretty critical of the Iowa Democratic Party, but the real villain in this, more than anyone, is the Democratic National Committee. And with me to talk about and analyze this is Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. Welcome to the program. Ed, how's it going? Good. Very good. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I guess we shouldn't be shocked, but 
you read this report and you read the analysis of it and it's like, wow, um, so many mistakes. Uh, well, and just, well, what's really interesting is my feeling is this is a legacy endeavor, the caucuses, so you use legacy technology. <laughs> so it's not unexpected. Um, yeah, I mean, as they pointed out in, in this audit, um, they waited too long to start developing the app, and then they got delayed even further when the DNC insisted that they needed to be able to uh, communicate with the uh, app through their own security mechanisms, and they didn't, they didn't work on the conversion software between the DNC system and the IDP system until like three weeks before. Well, well with, the, the, with the, the Iowa Democratic Party, they, they started, they, they, they tried to purchase the app at the right time. I mean, they, 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 they ordered it in July, and that would have given it to them by October. They would have had plenty of time. It was the DNC getting involved that caused the delay. Right. Right. No, that's correct. But the but the Iowa Democratic Party could have paid the development costs in July, and if it didn't work, so they would have only been out, a, you know, like a small number of thousands of dollars. And instead, they waited to, you know, uh, coalesce everything with the D, the DNC, and that pushed everything too far back. But I mean, I, I think there's a subtext to this, which is the DNC is not interested in Iowa continuing as a caucus state. And the, the subtext is, is that the DNC would be very happy to have this disappear. Well, the DNC might have done itself a favor then, or, or maybe, that was, maybe that wasn't accidental. Well, that's correct. I mean, the, the DNC set up these mandates to try to get increased security at the same time they got increased participation. And um, it seemed sort of like it was somewhat of a ruse to undermine just this process. Now, I mean, that's, to me, a, a really interesting question. And the other question is, this is, very not, this is not that different than the voting systems. Why exactly for a, a legacy endeavor like the caucuses, which I know you're in favor of because we talked about this before. Well, uh, um, we, we can talk about that some more. I, I have mixed feelings about yeah. it, but go ahead. Um, you know, why do we need an app? I mean, this is only 1,700 districts. Precincts, You know, yeah. you could write it on a piece of paper, take a picture of it, and send it from your phone. That's what used to happen, or something right. something I mean, like that, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, what's the issue here? I mean, uh, yeah, I, exactly I, have no, I have no idea why they thought they needed an app. But, you know, they, I mean, for the DNC to slow the whole thing down, and then in mid-January, actually it was, might have been leaving late January, it was sometime in, past the center, center point of January, the DNC... Um, decided that it was going to require the app, the app company Shadow, to provide um, real-time access to the uh, caucus results. I mean, so you're trying to mess with this new system at the very last minute. I mean, it was no wonder it failed. You're, 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 you, you can't do that. Why would they do that? It almost seems like that, that adds, adds, I think, um, fuel to your argument that. They, they want to see Iowa fail. They, they, they want to see caucuses go the way of the dinosaurs. Well, I, again, it, 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 it begs the question, or brings the question up, actually, of, you know, all election machines are, are counting machines. Right. And we can't do counting machines at this point in our technology without difficulty. 
I mean, look at look at these various election systems. And what's ironic, of course, is it's the Republicans who are yelling and screaming this year about the uh, you know the voting machines, you know, this whole ruse about Dominion. Um, you know, why it wouldn't be a security issue if we weren't using these electronic machines, which are unnecessary. Why do we need real time results from the caucuses? Why do we need that night results? from the national elections. It's, it's ludicrous. And, and, uh, and anyone who deals in technology knows you, you have to beta test this well before you're going to use it, yeah. because as soon as you, you know, put it out there, you're going to find you made mistakes anyway. Yeah. And what the DNC wanted the Democratic Party here in Iowa to do wasn't even necessary to reporting our results. It just right. it just boggles the mind, and you know I think I think to me the um, all you really need to know from the audit is this. I'll read I'll read you two sentences. You can tell me what you think. One, the report. This is the the audit report called the DNC's interjection quote the catalyst for the chaos that resulted uh, in at, at the headquarters. The report did not include interviews with DNC staff members who declined to participate. I mean, they, they, they weren't even willing to cooperate with the, uh, the audit. I mean, th- th- well, yeah, actually, I, in, in other sources, I'm not sure where you're reading from, they refused any sort of interviews. They did give some written responses. Who, who do we know who did that? Um, <laughs> obviously, President Trump to the uh, Mueller inquiry. And, um, and, but it's interesting, I also went back and looked at the um, – the national publications in February when this all happened. And the conclusions were fairly similar, even in that, that, that early stage, that the DNC's demands had created the chaos. And that was in, that literally in the New York Times a week after the, uh, the caucuses were over. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, to me, it just brings up this whole issue of really are we better off with these technologies, and now what do we do? Now we have these technologies, and what what do we demand they do? Print out a paper trail. Right, I know. Right, 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 right. (laughs) You know, know, um, what's the point? You know, uh, if the Democratic caucuses were to continue, and let's talk about that for a second. But my my um, but but first of all, the um, what people may not know is that Democrats and Republicans in Iowa caucus differently, and I'm I'm one of the few people I know who've been to both. I went to Republican caucus once, and it was a blast. Uh, there was no Dem- there was no Democratic challenge that year, but the um, Republicans just uh, they just you know you you just it's basically a secret ballot. The ballots are counted, they're reported. I mean you don't have to go to these go through these fancy um, gyrations and preference groups and realignments and all that. It's just much simpler, and um, that could work. But let me ask you this: Should the caucuses even remain? Should the Iowa caucuses even remain the first in the nation? Uh, primary contest? Uh, my feeling is no, because it, it exemplifies what's wrong with our election system and why people who run spend 95% of their time, you know, looking for money and then having their principles, you know, compromised by the money they take, um, that you have to spend so much time in a state which is, is – like it or not, is not representative of the population of the United States. Um, I think it's fun. Yeah, I, I, I say I don't agree with that. I, I think if you look at the first four states, New Hampshire, Iowa, South Carolina, Nevada, you've got a really good cross-section of the U.S. right there. Well, then have them all vote on the same day. Um, maybe. 
or at least uh, in close proximity. I wouldn't mind that. But, you know, yeah. I, I, I do think, I mean, you talk about money. Yeah, sure, they spend a lot of money in those four states. But um, if you have, for example, California or Texas, New York, some big state go first, I mean, that would be, that election would be all about money. There would be so much less interaction between real voters and the candidates. Don't you think? Yes. I mean, I, I, I personally, as I say, I think for us, I like the process. I like the proximity, you know. Um, and, but again, I just think it is part of a system which is fundamentally flawed in, in the sense that as far as I'm concerned, the election, hold the entire election process could be done easily in three months. So you know, which, and that would, that would actually allow more people who have less access to money to be in in the mix. Yeah. The reason we're stuck with these two parties is because it's such a long slog that it, 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 oh, there's no viability for a third party. Yeah, unfortunately, the it, media the media love it. They're already talking about how many days to the next election. You know. Well, of course. Yes, no, I understand that. I understand that. And then that's why the media has an investment in making uh, marginal candidates look as though they're still in it and the whole racehorse kind of way that they cover this. Um, and let's face it, the media, the media made Donald Trump president. No matter how disparaging they were of him, they gave him so much free airtime in the 2016 election that he didn't need money. <laughs> because they were, you know, we never saw Clinton, but everything, every moment of Donald Trump's day, we watched even when he was one of 16 Republican, yeah. you know, primary yeah. candidates. So, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I would, I, I'm okay with the, the caucus idea. I kind of like the caucus idea, but I, I think it being so far ahead of others, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to yeah. me. Hey, we've got to take a short break, Charles. Um, folks, when we come back, Charles is going to stick with us. We're going to talk about renewable energy uh, it's not all roses. There are some problems, some issues that need to be confronted and dealt with. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. Hey again, welcome back the Fallon Forum. It's Ed Fallon with you here. Folks, your host, uh, bringing you progressive voices from America's heartland. Hey, support for this program comes from Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. At Hawk, 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, curbside pickup, and carry-out. You can get more information at Hawk Table. It's H-O-Q Table. 
www.boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Bold Iowa, founded in 2015 to build rural-urban coalitions to address climate change, uh, to prevent the abuse of eminent domain, and to protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. Bold Iowa is committed to using peaceful, nonviolent means to push for change. And you can get more information at boldiowa.com. All right, welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum. Again, Charles Goldman with us here today. And uh, so um, in New Mexico, uh, there are lots of problems with what a lot of us have regarded as a very exciting component of renewable energy. The uh, geothermal plant that was built a few years ago is uh, causing some major water problems in an area where water is, well, water is pretty dang important. Uh, Charles, welcome back to the program. And uh, you've been tracking this story a bit. Um, kind of disturbing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it is disturbing, but I think it, it, it's like a lot of what's related to energy production, even in the, you know, in the 1800s, technologies like oil and gas uh, and coal, is that a lot of the damage that's done in energy production is invisible to the primary users of that energy, mainly electricity, who live in big cities. You know, and here you have a geothermal plant out in the desert in New Mexico. Um, and basically the technology is that they are pumping this geothermal, this heated water from a deeper uh, depth up to the surface. They run it through a geothermal plant, which is a very, you know, efficient way of making electricity, instead of heating it to 2,000 degrees like you do with a nuclear plant, you just heat it to about 300 degrees. It's already heated, and it runs turbines from the steam, you know, and so right. it's highly efficient. But the problem is it's a lot like fracking, just without the chemicals. Um, they're supposed to be putting the uh, spent water back into the same depth, but unless there's an intervening layer of particularly non-porous hard rock, it has a tendency to seep up into the higher level of the aquifer there and poison the water that people are using for other purposes, including I was really interested to find out that there's a tilapia farm out in the middle of the desert here in New Mexico. Yeah, um, I read about that, too, and a lot of the fish are uh, turning red because of the dye they put in to well, attract yeah, the water? It, it, well, they put a marker. They, they it's that it was actually seeping up into the aquifer, they put a, a food dye into the uh, geothermal water as they uh, let it out of the plant, and it started showing up in people's wells and in the tilapia farm water and killing the tilapia. So, um, so it, wasn't, it wasn't going the right direction. The water was not going the right going direction. It wasn't going the right direction. That's yeah. right. And, and it, it, it's, it, again, it's a, similar, you know, it's a similar idea to fracking, which is that the hydrology of the ground is far more complex than just knowing where are the rock layers because there's an actual flow in the aquifer that you have to account for. You know, and so here the people who are already living a pretty borderline existence in terms of their availability of water for drinking and for their uh, other activities are, um, are, you know, becoming the victims for energy that's used elsewhere. Uh, sounds a lot like the uh, pipeline through uh, Iowa. Yeah, um, right, right. But, the po yeah, the point is is that <clears throat> my, my concern and my interest in this article, it, you know, was, first of all, it was in The Guardian, and it didn't come from the Heartland Institute. Um, <laughs> you know, so, um, but 
we've gone directly to the idea of we're simply going to replace the electricity and the other energy we have from old technologies with new technologies. But people are still using energy in a very profligate manner so that um, we're losing out on the fact that maybe we don't have to produce all this electricity if we were doing things differently in a conservation way. Yeah, conservation. You know, conserva uh, I think anybody who's really tracking this knows that conservation has to be the centerpiece of any energy strategy. But, you know, that's, this is a complaint I've heard from people about solar, about wind, and now about geothermal, is that, yeah, these technologies um, may look, and maybe in some ways they are, a lot better than oil, gas, or coal, but there are downsides that uh, we need to consider. And here's, here's one. I mean, certainly we've heard, here in Iowa, we've heard lots of concerns about wind turbines. Right. Some of them unfounded. Some of them very important. They're very right. Uh, very they do they do kill birds, but they don't cause cancer. Uh, they can be <laughs> annoying to live near. Um, I have a neighbor like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you know, let, let's look at technologies that we never really think about. Um, you know, a lot of what we do in a portable fashion is based on batteries, and it's based on batteries that require rare earth minerals like lithium. Um, and there aren't that many places where you can mine rare earth minerals. In fact, the Chinese have bought up a huge amount of the mines that exist outside China, and a huge number of them exist inside China. So we've become, in some ways, uh, more indebted to a foreign power to be able to do the battery thing um, than we were in the past for oil and gas. And now, of course, there's multiple countries, including the EU, Canada, Australia, the United States, all really trying to figure out how, where, where's all the rare earth material going to come from, especially as we need battery technology to store things like wind energy. Yeah, and that's why, that's why, know, that's why, uh, that's why Elon Musk's uh, trip to Mars is so important. We're going to find a bunch of lithium there, right? We're going to bring it back from <laughs> Yeah, bring all the lithium that's back right. from Mars. Right, but the point, and, and, and these are dirty endeavors. Mining is a dirty endeavor no matter what you're doing. And, again, it's done in places that are hidden from the view of most people. You know, and um, even something as simple as what are you going to do with solar panels as they wear out or get damaged? There are materials in there that you really don't want in landfills, but it's, it's much cheaper to throw them into landfills than it is to recycle them. And, and the United States is way behind. What a surprise. So... Uh, you know, even China, so, in terms of recycling panels. So, so con point. conservation is key. We agree to that. But that can only take you so far. Yeah, I mean, you, you, can't, you get to the point where you can only improve so much. And then what do you, what, what do you use? What's the, what's the friendly, environmentally sustainable, non-toxic uh, uh, alternative to what, What's the best option here, Charles? You, you, we're, we're hoping that you're going to solve this well, problem for us. Well, I think... I think if you're directing your efforts towards lowering the temperature of the globe, which is clearly we have to do, then burning things is not the way to produce electricity. So certainly things like, you know, wind and solar make more sense if that is your goal, which I think we all agree it is. But at the same time, um, we, need to, we need to be much smarter about Recycling things, including green energy implements like the windmills, you know, like the solar panels. You know, we're so concerned about recycling plastic um, or paper, and yet we ignore 
the green technologies themselves. So I think recycling those implements is important, um, certainly increasing efficiency. So instead of people mining coal, how about if we had a program where we sent those same people out putting insulation on people's houses so that when they heat them, they'd be 50% less likely to just blow off heat into the surrounding you know, air, okay. and we could save energy that way. There's a lot of things we're not doing. Yeah. Um, stop building houses that are energy inefficient. At this point, is there really a reason to be building a house that's not energy efficient? Yeah, or to build a house that doesn't have any south-facing windows. Right. We, we, we see yeah, that. I mean, we see that. I mean, I, I, I see these houses. There's windows on the north side. There's none on the south side. Who, who thought up that idea? No, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's ludicrous. You maybe know? Aust- maybe so, Australia that makes sense, you know? Yeah. But, it, 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 you know, when we, when we talk about, uh, you know, the entire menu of things, we're usually, you know, talk, hearing politicians talk about clean coal, you know, natural gas, oil, nuclear energy, and then renewables, right? So it's the smorgasbord, right? Right. And what we should be talking about is conservation should be one of the, the you know, the bases of our energy policy. It's not, or as Dick Cheney once said, conservation may be a virtue, but it's not the basis of an energy policy. Um, and the other <laughs> thing to think about is that you know, recycling and conservation could be heavily uh, work in, labor-intensive. Labor intensive of the thing, you know, again, we keep defining work for blue collar workers in this country as working in factories, right? But we know that the future is not in a factory. Eventually, and if COVID hasn't convinced you of that, we know what's coming. Factories are going to automate even more. We'll be, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be talking about that now on next week's program with uh, Charlie Wishman. Okay, well, but yeah, I mean, so I won't go that far, that far down the road. But the point is that we need to find things that require people to do the work. Yeah. Insulating somebody's house is not going to be done by a robot. Right. It's going to require people working. Yeah. And it's a lot safer work than being down in a, in, in a seam mine in West Virginia. Charles, thanks for you joining know, us today. I appreciate it. This is um, a conversation that, that uh, needs to go on a bit further, but um, we'll have to come back to it some other time. Uh, Folks, we've been talking with Dr. Charles Goldman. Uh, Thanks for joining us again, Charles. And folks, uh, we'll be back. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about, uh, in our urban farming segment, getting ready to start seeds for next year's garden. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, as we're broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to our business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. They are open seven days a week. The cafe, of course, also opens seven days a week for lunch and supper. And on the weekends for breakfast, there's limited dining service. And you can also order using Gateway's takeout program, takeout service. And of course, this time of the year, we're thinking about gifts and things, right? So hey, how about a $50 gift card from Gateway Market for somebody you love? You know, and you love yourself a little bit too because you get a $10 gift certificate along with that. So check it out, folks. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, let's welcome Kathy Burns to the program. We're going to talk about starting seeds. Yes, I know it's, what, December? It's time to start thinking about your, your spring garden. Right. We already have, well, you did a great job cleaning the basement to get it ready <laughs> to start seeds. Uh, what we want to talk about uh, is what should you be doing now to have success with your seedlings when you're ready to put them in the ground later in the spring. So uh, it's, it's what you need to get lined up, the, the items and the materials, and then the process of it. Uh, right now, in the basement, we've got a series of long tables. So whatever work area you have where you can have it dark at night and light during the day. And yeah, light during the day, of course, means uh, using shop lamps or, you know, yeah, they make those fancy grow lamps, but I've never seen the value in dropping four times as much money for a fancy grow light when a shop light works pretty, you know, pretty much the same. And we have already started artichokes mm -hmm. and they're about... They're a couple inches tall already. They're so cute. Because they're biennials. They need to be tricked into thinking they've been through their first winter when you, when it comes time to plant them in April. But, you I mean, the, the, the uh, planting really starts in earnest in mm -hmm. January with onions right. and leeks. And uh, peppers and eggplant, uh, we find those take a long time to really germinate and get to the point where they're mm. viable. So those might, might start in, what, early February? Yeah. Right. Um, Shortly after the new year, we'll, we'll start to set up all of the pots and the, the cells and everything. Um, <laughs> seeds, you're going to need your seeds. So yeah. get on your seed ordering. Uh, that's on our to-do list. Yeah, it's on our to-do list, too. And it should be <laughs> on yours because, you know, yeah, it's just uh, there have been so much more interest in home gardening these days that a lot of these uh, companies are running short on seed supplies. Right. Uh, I mean, our, 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 our seed company of choice is Seed Savers in Decorah which is in Iowa, but also in a different uh, growing zone than Des Moines. So we have to think about that too, but they, they've got a great selection. There are, there are a bunch of other companies out there, but uh, I'd say get them early, huh? Get them, yeah. Get your, get your list and um, just shop around to make sure you're getting what you want. And um, you need those starter pots. So, so trays, sometimes they're called uh, plug trays. They're the tiny little um, cells that you put dirt into and start your seed. You don't need a lot to get it started, but you will be transplanting when they get bigger. They come in a variety of sizes. For instance, some of them have 72 per tray, some have 128 per tray. So decide about how many you're going to do. Um, whether you put one or two or three seeds in each cell is up to you and kind of what you're growing. But um, if you get them used, Give them a little clean so that they won't be transmitting any disease from any previous year's growing or whoever had them before into your stuff. We say that and we never do that. <laughs> well, we, ours are used by us. Well, that, that's right. They're used by us. And we so, know what we yeah. put in them. So For if, the most if, part, yeah. If you get them from someone else, be sure you know what they had in them. Um, get some seed starter mix. Mm. We often just buy a 12-quart bag to get going, and uh, we get the organic 
and it's specified, you'll see some are specified for flowers and some are specified for fruits and vegetables. Of course, fruits and vegetables if you're doing your, your seeds. I've tried to make our own starter mix. I wouldn't say I've been tremendously successful. I know vermiculite and perlite are kind of two key ingredients. Uh, Sphagnum moss or some, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I've tried using, I've, I've gone out to the woods and gathered moss. Uh, <laughs> not sphagnum moss, but uh, various types of fluffy, mossy things that I can find. And um, yeah, even cut up newspapers really fine. I've never really been, I've never found that it works really well, but it does, uh, you know, I, I find it can cut a commercial bag of seed starter in a, a little bit and, and stretch it out a little bit further. But right. it's right. a lot of work too. Yeah. <laughs> um, contain Well, sheets of plastic wrap too. And I hate to say the word plastic, but you need something <laughs> after you plant them, you need some clear sheet to put over them to hold the moisture in while they germinate. We save plastic that comes, for instance, if we get some pork chops or lamb chops um, from one of our local growers, the lockers will wrap them first in a sheet of plastic and then in the butcher's paper. So hmm. I always wash that plastic off and then we save that and just kind of dry it and fold it. And then that can work for your um, topping on your seed cells uh, while they're germinating. And you can save those year to year. Or if you want to combine, uh you know, conservation with efficiency with exercise. You can go to the, you find a tree with a, like a bunch of Walmart bags uh, uh, <laughs> hanging up in the branches because they blew away and they ended up in that tree. You can climb that tree, get your exercise, uh -huh. retrieve those Walmart bags, there's your conservation, and then you can use those to cover your plants as well. Yeah, that's my advice. I love it. <laughs> I just love it. Well, when you have your table set up with all your your cell trays and your seed starter and your seeds and you've got some water handy, uh, there's a process to go through. So if the seed starter is kind of dry, we just put mm. some in a bucket, add a little water just till it's moist. You don't want it sloppy. And um, then it's time to put it in the cells. Yeah, sometimes I'll just uh, I'll, I'll pour the dry seed starter mix into the uh, pots and into the tray and then just you know, put a little bit of water in each to moisten them. That works as well. It just depends on your preference, I guess. If you're doing a whole lot of seed yeah. starting, it might be a good idea to just put yeah. it in a bucket and get sure. it moist and keep it moist. But I'd say yeah. that's probably the preferable method. Huh? Yeah, I think so, if you've got it. So then you take that. It's kind of fun. You take a glob of it in your hand and spread it in the cells. It just feels like you're connecting with the earth and getting getting ready. I like that. Kind of like our arts and crafts day. You know. That's right. Uh, then, then you want to poke a little hole or however many seeds you're going to put in each cell. Just poke a little hole. We've used <laughs> the end of a dried um, okra. Pot of okra, pot. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to poke that little hole, but any, any, any little thing. We Then, oh, get your reading glasses if you are our age or around there. Because <laughs> you, you, when you start to count out the seeds in your little, you put, put the seeds out of the bag, and it's really hard to see to get one by one and then also to put them in the cell and make sure you keep track of which yeah, one you've got. Like, like celery seeds are so small, I don't even bother. I just like I just like take a little Same. tiny pinch and put them in there and, and then inevitably you'll have a whole bunch come up and you'll have to thin them out. But mm -hmm. the seeds are so tiny, it's really hard to work. But then you take an artichoke. I mean, an artichoke is a nice big seed, very oh, yeah. tomato, nice, you know, reasonably sized seed. You can kind of see what you're dealing with, peppers, same thing. But um, but for the artichokes, we only put one seed in each cell. Because they're big. They're big, and we didn't have a lot, so we wanted to maximize. We didn't want to waste any. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we have, we've had about uh, half of them, about 50% germination rate. That's not bad. Half of those, actually two-thirds of those are seeds we saved ourselves. So mm -hmm. anyway. That'll be fun to see if they yeah. produce fruit. We'll see. We're they always experimenting. Um, after you have them, the seeds planted, and you've covered them with plastic, maybe we can <clears> clip <throat> them down on the ends with a clothespin or something. We need to put them in a warm, dark place. This isn't when you add light yet. You put them in a warm, dark place to germinate. We use our bathroom <laughs> because there's a shelf up yes, high, it and it, it's warm up on yeah. that shelf. It's a nice warm spot. You can fit two, maybe three trays up there. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, there's also those heat mats. Uh, they have a very low uh, setting that uh, gives just just the mm -hmm. right amount of heat, and it requires an additional plug-in, of course. But mm -hmm. uh, we we prefer to use the uh, the shelf in the bathroom <laughs> because uh, there's, there's no additional electricity needed for that. That's so. right. And then and then you have to remember to <clears throat> check on them. Depending on the seed, they take different amounts of time to sprout. So yeah. check um, on the seed packet. It usually says how long to germination. Kind of use that as your guide, and then take a peek inside of that plastic every once in a while to see what's happening and when they start to germinate. What, but maybe half of the seeds are germinated. You bring them down. It depends. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it depends. Some some germinate real quickly. Some take more time. Uh, some will germinate all at once, like artichokes. Where we we first, um, I think we moved the artichoke tray down into the basement under a grow light two weeks ago, mm -hmm. and there's still new seeds germinating yes <laughs> so they're they're, they're on a very staggered schedule but you know i would say that um again artichokes for us the first thing we plant in november uh and then uh i'd say leeks and onions are the next thing to go in january mm -hmm. and early february it's usually uh peppers eggplant uh, because they take so long and then the brassicas broccoli cauliflower brussels sprouts cabbage those don't Good take as long um, oh, and celery as well. And then, you know, you, you can also start kale from seed. You but, can. Um, we did. And, you know, that gives you a couple weeks jump start over mm -hmm. kale that you direct sow. But it's also a little more you work. You can direct sow that, too. Yeah. Uh, we need to mention the light height. So oh, yeah. once they germinate and you bring them down to your basement or wherever is your spot, you're going to let them get grow into cute little seedlings for you. You make sure that the light that you are adding is low enough that so that the the plants aren't trying to reach up high that's how they get leggy and fall over so yeah. that light should be a couple inches from the top of the top seedling as they grow so you keep moving it up over time as the plants mm -hmm. plants get bigger and then at some point of course you're going to want to transplant ideally or you know and again the last thing that we plant would be in march we plant tomatoes and those especially want to be transplanted oh. into larger pots. So, right. And so yeah. start saving all your little yogurt cups. Start saving your bigger yogurt, your 32-ounce yogurt containers, um, whatever you have. Don't don't throw that plastic away. Um, even avoid putting it in the recycle because you can reuse it for your transplants. Right. Hey, so uh, thanks, Kathy. Uh, thanks to our guest today, uh, State Senator-elect Kim Jackson of Georgia. Uh, thanks to uh, Charles Goldman again, and, again, Kathy Burns for tuning in. For uh, tuning in, for joining us for the last segment. And thanks to our production squad, which does include Kathy and also Sherry Herdina. Thanks for tuning in to today's program, folks. You can always watch this segment of the show on our Facebook page. We have a video version. You get to laugh at us. Uh, well, anyway, at me at any rate. <laughs> we'll laugh at ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and please subscribe to the Fallon Forum on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can follow the Fallon Forum on Facebook and sign up for the weekly blog that we put out 
every Tuesday or Wednesday. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host, thanking you for being a part of an alternative to what you'll find on the mainstream radio stations. Ed Fallon here with the Fallon Forum.